It's time for a brand new book circle online. I've got Stuart Canterbury. We're talking Turning Blue. Stick around. This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Hello. Welcome to Book Circle Online. Welcome, my guest, Stuart Canterbury. Welcome. Hello, yeah. Very nice to be here. I'm so excited you're here. We're talking Turning Blue which is uh, an adult view of the adult world. I would say, uh, I like to say, a hilarious blow-by-blow account behind the scenes. <laughs> of course you would, blow-by-blow. Right. Blow. Love it. Um, let's start with the beginning. You are a director and producer of adult films. That's right. Um, what made you want to write a book? Well, you know, over the years, people have seemed to be really interested in what I do for a living. Um, and uh, I always thought to myself how uh, fascinated they would be if they really knew what went on behind the scenes. Yeah. And it's uh, not what people uh, might think. Mm -hmm. And so that's the reason that I wanted to write it, and I think that uh, people would enjoy it, because a lot of what has been written about the X-rated industry takes an approach which is either very uh, dark and lurid Mm -hmm. or otherwise kind of titillating. So this is a book about pornography which is not pornographic right right so that's a fine distinction that i want to make but my experience of being in the industry has been that really it's hilarious <laughs> when you think about the uh, larger than life personalities and the outrageous situations that we get into uh, i thought that people would find it very funny yeah. if they knew what it was really like and so that's the reason that I wanted to write it. Yeah, it's a very clean book for such a dirty world. Well, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a dirty business, but somebody's got to do it, right? Right, absolutely. <laughs> um, have you? So you have a family. Have they read the book? Um, no, I, I'm a, a single dad. Yeah. So I have uh, uh, two children. They're older now, but I did uh, have the blessing of, of raising them. So uh, I had custody of my children. Right. So I have a son and a daughter. Uh so, you know, they're not really interested in me. So, <laughs> <laughs> Really? Right. No, we're, we're very close and we get on very well and uh, they're, they're proud about the book. Okay, um, but they haven't read it. I don't think they've read it, but I, I don't have any objection to them. As you said, it's, it's a pretty clean book. Right. And it, it, it takes an approach which is, as I said, comedic mm-hmm. and it should be fun and entertaining. But at the same time, I think it does explore some of the more serious issues that we confront. And um, I think in that way, people will have, um, will, there's, there's more to it than it, it, it meets the eye. And I would say that about the industry. Yeah. Well, so th- I think the dirtiest thing about the book is the cover. And I'm going to show it because it's my favorite cover. Um, you and I were talking a little bit about, uh, you know, where the drawing came from. Uh, that is a, a friend of mine. His name is Dino Arcon, who did the artwork on that. Uh, but I wanted to say something about that because the... You know, the whole notion of a cartoon that goes back, if you think about, you know, the adult uh, uh, entertainment mm-hmm. over the years. I mean, for example, the cartoons in Playboy would, would be the one that comes to mind. So right. there's, a, there's a history of cartooning uh, in the adult industry. And the other thing, and this is a personal thing for me, is that my, my background is in literature, actually. And I'm uh, specialized in, uh, actually, Dickens and Shakespeare, right? <laughs> but, you know, so... Uh, 
it's very Dickensian mm-hmm. to have cartoons because in, in Victorian literature that was a, a part of uh, how uh, novels were presented was with these cartoons. Yeah. So that kind of tickled me. And <laughs> it also, in the approach that I take to the book, it's sort of, you know, Charles Dickens let loose in Los Angeles in the adult industry because yeah. it's got all these outrageous kind of Dickensian characters and that same humor to it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of these really intricate uh, covers that you look at it. I was telling you, you know, you notice that there's a half-naked blonde running around, or I guess fully naked, blonde running around, and then you watch it, you look at it again, and you go, oh, wait, she's holding a vibrator. Right, and there's a lot of things that people uh, look at it, and then they, they, they start exploring it right. and examining it and saying, okay, you know, all these little details. <laughs> and it's it, to me, it represents the kind of craziness which is depicted in the book of just this, this uh, situation where you have a, the... Um, central character of the book who is a, a producer who is a fictional character yeah. but he's a, a high powered uh, producer I find him um, a, a little bit on the sleazy side but he always seems to come up smelling like a rose yeah. and he is in this constant conflict with a very big uh, porn star who is a diva that is hell to handle mm-hmm. but the two of them end up making movies together and they just can't stand one another and all sorts of issues and situations collide around him. And the, the craziness of his life, right. I think, is sort of well captured in, in the cover because you have this guy sitting in the director's chair in the middle of, and all just this zany yeah. uh, chaos is going on around him. And <laughs> I think that that's sort of the experience of being of a day in the life of a porn producer. Yeah. Right. Um, so the character, the, our main character, Travis Lazar, uh, is that based on anyone? Is that inspired by somebody specific? Well, I'll say it's not me. Uh, <laughs> and it's a, you know, it's a composite of of people, mm-hmm. all of the characters of people and situations that I have encountered over the years. Okay. And you know, one of the purposes of of writing it was to uh, to show that the you know that we're not demons, uh, and the people who make adult entertainment are, like you said, I had I have a family. You know, are kind of normal people, and you know the, the girls don't wake up in stilettos in the morning. Right. right. Um, you so you said you have a daughter. Yes. What would you do if your daughter said to you, "I would like to work in porn"? I would take the same uh, approach if she said she wanted to be a lumberjack. Okay. In other words, we would discuss the pros and cons of it, and you know, there's there's pros and cons, and then I would support her in whatever choice she makes on that. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the characters that may be more influenced by someone. There's a character named the Caterpillar. Right. Um, who I read it and went, I, I feel like I know who this is. It's pretty close. Uh, and that's maybe one. <laughs> uh, well, let's say it, it's sort of based or inspired by a very unique individual, which is Ron Jeremy. Yeah. Right? Uh, who, my, who I've made quite a lot of movies with. I know him very well. And, you know, in fact, I ran into him the other night. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're at, a, at, a, at an industry uh, party. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so, you know, we, we've been friends for many years. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a sort of a gentle ribbing. Yeah. But actually, he did give me a blurb uh, in the beginning of the, right. of the, of yeah. the book. He so. says, um, I'm going to find it. He says, turning blue is engrossing, revealing, and left me wanting more. Right. And there's also a, a, a recommendation from Larry Flint, which was nice, because yeah, I've done a, a lot of work for Hustler and for Penthouse. Yeah. Um, that's so amazing that you have such a great uh, support system in the industry. 
And it feels like everyone wants everyone to succeed in this niche of the industry. I think that I've been very fortunate in that. And, uh, you know, I've been uh, in the industry for many years. So, uh, you know, I'm pretty well uh, well established and, uh, you know, hopefully have a, a good reputation. <laughs> yeah. Better than Travis Lazar. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. But I tell you, you know, I would say, you know, whatever is the worst of me, mm-hmm. you know, if I could exaggerate that and put that into Travis Lazar, I think maybe that's some of the inspiration. <laughs> but I wouldn't want to be. Yeah. Right. So how did you get started in this industry? Um all right, I will tell you the story. So, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I was at uh, at film school uh, at UCLA Film School mm-hmm. in uh, the early '80s when when video was exploding, uh, and at that time, um, I was approached uh, by a, a producer who wanted to make X-rated entertainment, and and I was, as I said, a student at film school, so I was absolutely horrified, and I said no, I refused, uh, and uh, he was persuasive. Um, so I agreed to, to do it because, you know, basically when we were at film school, all you ever wanted at that point, and it was sort of encouraged by, uh, by the uh, instructors was just get on a movie set. Mm-hmm. And here was a guy offering me the opportunity to direct a movie. And it wasn't the kind of movie that I really wanted to direct, but, you know, I thought it would be a, a good experience and a learning experience for me. I'm going to say maybe one bad word at the end of the story. <laughs> <laughs> just so... Um, we went up to San Francisco, which is where we were shooting in those days, because at that time there was uh, a lot of heat in L.A. Mm-hmm. It was considered to uh, to be illegal, although that was ultimately challenged in the in the California Supreme Court, mm-hmm. and and it was you know a production of X-rated entertainment was protected by uh, the First Amendment in freedom of expression in California. So, which is where the only place where it had been tested. Yeah. So it was legal, but at the, uh, uh, at the time we were shooting in San Francisco, which was a more uh, pleasant ambience. So I put the project together, and we went up to San Francisco, and uh, you know I'd never done this before, and it was pretty shocking the first time. <laughs> and after three days of uh, shooting, the um, the uh, principal actress came up to me and she said, "So." let me ask you a question. How how long have you been doing this? So I said, uh, about three days, right? (laughs) So she said, no, really, how long have you been doing? So I said, uh, really, about three days. So she looked me up and down and she said, is that why you can't say blowjob? (laughs) (laughs) Because I was embarrassed. I was intimidated. Yeah. Uh, Do you remember the name of that film? That, appropriately enough, was called Easy Come, Easy Go. (laughs) Right. And that's where it began, you know. And so uh, when we got back to uh, Los Angeles after that, uh, they said, OK, uh, w- we need another one. And I thought to myself, you know, I could do it better. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So I uh, agreed. And that's actually how I, I put myself through film school like that. And by the time I came out of film school, I was pretty well established and, you know, had a career ahead of me. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think the dream of any film student is to come out with a a career ready for you. It was great, and uh, you know, it was at that time, especially it was very profitable. We made money, and it's been a wonderful adventure. It's taken me all over the world, um, met all sorts of uh, wonderful characters, and it's uh, it's been you know, uh, you know, my work has been you know uh, very well received. Yeah, um, speaking of interesting characters, Turning Blue has so many. 
characters um, that, you know, are partially influenced by people that you've met. Uh, why make a novel rather than a memoir? Because I wanted to tell the truth. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, because I have been privy to a lot of confidences over the years, yeah. and some of that is implied in the book, mm -hmm. I uh, don't did not want to reveal anything about people who had trusted me. But by fictionalizing it, nobody gets hurt. It's right. also a way of shaping the material, you know, because, you know, a memoir is more kind of random, mm -hmm. but this way I could, you know, consolidate things and create, a, yeah. a, a, I would think, a compelling story yeah. out of what, uh, you know, what the experiences have been. Right. It feels like you're you're in the life of Travis for a certain amount of time and you see what his day-to-day -day is and, you know, you describe the driving from one place to another and as someone who's in LA, you go, oh my God, I can imagine how long and... You, we also meet this um, character of the Duchess, right? Who is one of the few females in the industry, which I feel is very uh, true to life. Very much so, and I, I mean, you know, that is based on a relationship that I have with somebody, um, and I think that that's another um, myth that people have. I mean, because there's a lot of women who are working in the industry who are very empowered. Mm. There are. Yes, definitely. Okay. Yeah. I feel like I those mean, are even, such unheard stories. Well, th these are, again, I think, myths about the industry that I would seek to dispel in the book. I mean, things like the notion that anyone, in my experience, no one I've, no one has ever been coerced into doing mm -hmm. anything that they didn't want to do. I mean, it's just sort of, you know, that's just such an obvious line that you don't want to cross. You right. know, there's, you know, the notion of a casting couch is not quite what people think, you know. So these are things that I wanted to address. What other myths are there that you feel are very um, outrageous? I know that I love that in the book we talk about um, how uh, one of the characters comes in and he doesn't have his tests with him. Right. So he doesn't get to perform. Right. I mean, that's I mean, yeah, we're very conscious of the uh, of the health of, mm -hmm. of, you know, of our essentially employees and performers. Sure. So, I mean, that there's, you know, rampant disease, that it's all a wild party. I mean, it's really what it is. It's, you know, it's hard work. It's, um, they say that uh, the, the most, uh, the first day on a movie set is the most exciting day of your life. And the second day on a movie set is the most boring day of your life, <laughs> right? Because it's like six weeks at an airport. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're really essentially in a warehouse. Um, you know, we shoot on different locations, but you're always under hot lights uh, there's never enough time to do what you had hoped that you were going to do. Yeah. You're dealing with all sorts of other problems to do with uh, weather and technology and personalities and politics right. and, you know, just an infinite amount of things that you have to address. Um, so it's not that glamorous or exciting or titillating of an atmosphere. And I think that that's another myth that people have. Yeah. Um, in the book, we also meet a character named Kimberly. Right. Um, not to give away her story, but uh, how much of Kimberly is based on someone? It's, it's a, because it's a tragic story, so we don't want to... And even though the book is a comedy, yeah. you know, it takes... Uh, you know, it doesn't shy away, let's say, from serious issues that, that one has to address in the industry. Yeah. So that's a sort of a tragic story. And again, like much of the book, based on, on fact... Uh, and it's it's funny because you asked me at the beginning if there was anything that I didn't want to talk about, and I said you could ask me anything. But I think about that, and I think that that 
was a sad issue that uh, a sad incident that happened. Wow. And that uh, you know that gives me pause. Yeah. 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 Um, that's I mean, life. Life sometimes has tragedy. Life sometimes has but comedy. People have to be able to make their own choices right. and their own decisions. You know. You know. After you know they have reached the age of majority. I mean. Yeah. You know. The, the, obviously, this is not product that is you know designed for for minors i mean that's another one of those myths that you know there's there's a very hard line on that right and that's addressed in the book that's addressed and uh you know and you know they always seem to like to uh lump together the notion of pornography and child pornography and these are two very very different things right you know uh, you know the, the kind of people uh as larry flint said who enjoy adult entertainment are not the kind of people who are going to be seeking out uh titillation from uh, underage right um the way the story ends it feels like it's uh prepping for a sequel yes is that uh, intentional the agreement was that with the publisher was to do a series so i am working on uh the other two books uh of the three in the series the second book is called shocking pink <laughs> and the third one is uh working stiff excellent right. Awesome. Well, thank you, Stuart Canterbury, for joining us. Uh, Turning Blue is available on Amazon. Amazon.com or BarnesandNobles.com. With the beautiful cover. Thank you so much for joining us. And people can find you on Twitter and Instagram. I'm on Twitter and on Facebook, uh, Stuart Canterbury. Awesome. Thank you so much. Very nice to be here. You too. Thank you. I'm so excited. You can find me online at yell.tv and everywhere at yelltegel, Y-A-E-L-T-Y-G-I-E-L. Thank you for joining us for Book Circle Online. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menounos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.